ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of Rooster and the Villain. I am very pleased to have Alex Cow here, who is a midfielder for the Maryland Bobcats. He's graciously offered his time. Welcome to the show. Would you mind telling us about yourself just a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Mike, for the introduction. Uh, my name is Alex Cow, uh, currently midfielder and captain for the Bobcats. Um, so I'm 26 years young. I've uh, been playing soccer pretty much my entire life, I think since I could remember walking. Uh, I've been involved in the game, playing from, uh, you know, being born in Africa to raised in France and and now uh, in America. So, yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen all the level, you know, street soccer, acad- academy in Europe, uh, with my Paris football club, uh, college, Division One, and now a professional with them, the Maryland Bobcats. Yeah, I think uh, I think your soccer journey is something we want to dive into completely here. Uh, so, so let's just go right into it. So, you, so you, I saw that you were born in Togo. Yes. What age did you then head to uh, to Paris, France, where you spent your formative years? From my, from what I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I was born in Togo. It's a very small country in, in West Africa. Usually, people can't uh, even picture where it is. So it's it's right next to Ghana. It's a very tiny uh, country. It's about 5 million people. So I I grew up there and obviously like, you know, I would say 90% of kids in Africa or nasty 99% of kids, all your eyes are on on the sport, you know, of soccer, which we call football there as well. You know, so I started playing. I remember my mom telling me story that every time she had me on her back and I see people playing in the street, I was just kind of jumping and wanted to get off get off her back so it was it was a uh, uh, you know funny stories like that but I think from the age of four you know just kicking the ball around uh, street soccer was huge there as well and then about nine years old we made a move to Paris as a family at that I had an opportunity to you know take on a work there and we moved there uh, we moved in uh, a city called Aubervilliers which is where my first club was, um, you know, Restar 93. At that time, they had a very good structure, um, very well-known club in Paris as well. Uh, at first, I didn't want to play uh, club soccer. You know, it's just that first year or two year in France, I was just playing street soccer, like everybody else, 5v5. Uh, we, we, we had a, a stadium, a little stadium by year. By, uh, by your school that we call the the city stadium, right? Where it's like at the end of school, everybody say, oh, let's meet up at the city stadium. And that's where we just go and just play 5v5 until it gets dark, right? Um, So those were fun time. And then just one day, one of my friends who's actually currently a professional player at at Nancy in Division Two in France just said, hey, why don't you just come uh, and, and play for my team? You know, you're very good. I said, well, sure. What team are you playing for? So the rest are 93. I said, okay, sure. I'll come. So the next Monday we went to try out and I made the team right away. And that was my first actual uh, club. And that wasn't until actually 12. So for anybody that wonder out there, oh, my son doesn't have a club and he's eight, nine. It's not too late. I didn't start playing club soccer until I was uh, 12 years old. So that was exciting. I uh, got there. Uh, it was different. It was a lot of talent, obviously. Uh, spent two years in, in Red Star, 
What did a typical What did a typical day at the academy look like? Do you, you go to school there and everything, and then you have so, the rest start. It was it was more so pre academy, so what they call pre academy. So you don't actually get into the academy until the age of fourteen, which is where you actually uh, pretty much high school, where you actually sleep, eat soccer all the time right so there at rest we had like we had three practices uh four in my second year right uh there was practices like you know most of uh the clubs do now from six to eight we train but then you get to go to school on your own with your friends right uh but after that second year um i got an interest from paris fc that had an academy structure um and uh, I accepted the offer. There, it's, it's completely different. It's seven practices a week. It's 16 hours of, 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 uh, of school where it's, uh, it's almost private school. So we had teachers at, at the Paris Football Club, right, that would come in, uh, teach the material that we need to go over and, and why not. So we'll go train in the morning uh, from uh, 8 to 10, and then we had to get we have we had to get in class at eleven. Had two hours of classes, and then it was lunch break. At 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 two o'clock, we had to get back in class, have another hour and a half or two hours of classes, and then at four, we were back on the field. Wow, training again. <laughs> it's so yeah. It's so like such a professional setting at such a. Oh year. yeah. Are you four, stressed? Were you stressed out about it at that age? Like, because do you have to play for a contract every year? Um, oh uh, well. Yeah, so it's it's uh, some some of us had a multiple years deal, obviously, of being academy. If they know that you're a project that they want to invest on, obviously, you could go in a three to five year contract with the club. It just really it was different for almost everybody. Uh, but some people, some guys had the one year contract, obviously, as well, based on their goals and also the goal, the plans that the club had for them. Every contract were different, but we weren't sure. very allowed to discuss that, uh, obviously. But it was very intense, I would say. It was it was my first time uh, me realizing how much of a work it is uh, to be a professional. And even then, it, I felt that looking back on now, it was still not enough because seven practices was good. But then you had some guys um, that were already pro at 16 that would have three practices a day, right? They wake up, train with the, the pro team, get home, get their lunch, train again, and then get at night and do some conditioning and core work and all that. So you look at it and you're like, wow, it's insane. And yeah. the compound of that work, right? Think about it. If you're having two trainings a day for nine months from the age of 14, how much of a, of a progress you have compared to somebody that is just training three times a week. It's just at that point, it's not a matter of who's more talented. It's a matter of who's just bringing the most work. Sure. Right. Um, so for us, it was, it was that, and our team got tremendously, uh, tremendously better when we were able to, you know, just kind of catch up with clubs like PSG in, in, uh, in terms of infrastructure and, and trainings, because, before that, Paris FC was also on, on the period where they were only having maybe four trainings a week with their youth. And then you have PSG, right, in the other hand, where they will have training seven to nine times with their youth and they already have their structure together. So every time we play them, it was no match. 
um, right? They will beat us every time. Uh, but that moment we had, we made that switch to a full academy where we were just breathing soccer like every other top clubs in France. And that changed dramatically, you know. The team got better. Everybody got better. How supportive were your parents of that at that, at that age? Like, were they still <laughs> kind of like, you know, it seems like you're training to be a professional athlete, but should school be the number one focus at, at 12 years old? Yeah. yeah, funny story. I don't, I don't say this story at all because, um, you know, I might have told my youth players once, um, but for me, for my parents, very African-minded, it was never a question of quitting school. But there are some in my promotion that did quit a school and just focus on football, right? Because from that moment, you get in a club like Paris FC and you play against the best of the best and you feel like you're competing, you know, uh, just to throw a few names out there, Kipembe, uh, Mark, Mike Mignon, um, all these guys are just like our promotion, Paris FC, PSG, competing, right? So now you feel like, wow, if those guys are worth a million, maybe I am too, right? Maybe I should focus on it. Rabio, that's another one, right? It's like, maybe I am too. So a lot of some of those guys just decided, hey, I'm just going to quit school. It's taking too much of my time and I'm just going to focus on that. And I thought that, I thought that was a smart that was a smart idea, clearly, because now that's more time to train, right? It was all about how much training can I get in a day, you sure. know, because with school, you got to worry about going to class first, but you got to worry about also doing your homeworks, right, um, to be able to graduate and why not. And uh, for me, at some point, I, I remember coming home one day and I just, I told both of my parents, I think... I think school is, it's, it's not use, useful. I think I'm just going to quit. I think this was in uh, junior year, uh, junior year of high school. <laughs> and my dad just laughed at me and he said, you're out of your mind. You leave school. You also can just take out the boots and just, you know, forget it. You know, it's either both or none. You yeah. know? And so, um, but I, I'm so grateful I stick to it because now part of, uh, the scholarship I had in college was due to the education that I was able to finish in high school and then get the opportunity, you know. But at that time, it was very intense, very, you know, it, it was almost like from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, my day was just playing out. Sure. It was no, it was almost no time for anything else, you know, uh, less family time. Uh, no, almost no family vacation. I don't, I don't think we have taken one family vacation that was part of right it's either that moment it was tournaments and then after tournaments you have maybe 10 days 12 days off and then it's like, okay you got to get back in shape for the next preseason um so it was very intense yeah i mean that sounds similar to what you would experience in like a basketball or football setting in america i you know before we jump into your college experience too i, I know you work as a, as a youth coach right now and you see some of our player development in the U.S., I, I'm just curious to hear your opinion on some of the differences between, of which I'm sure there are many between, you know, yeah. soccer in France and youth soccer in America. Well, I think first is there is a huge delusion in terms of, of, of what the kids um, can achieve without putting the proper amount of work in, right? I think... Um, a lot of parents expect their, their kids to be professional 
players. And I think it's so different in, in, in basketball and football because when I look at the, 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 the kids in basketball and football and the work ethic that they have, right, in, in terms of consistency, work, work, work. And I look in soccer and I wonder why they think training three times a week is enough to have a Division One scholarship for the most part. I just, it just never thick for me, you know? And I, I also don't even get that concept of you training three times a week is good enough to be in the travel roster, right? And, but there is that delusion there of some parents of just believing that, well, my kid is training three times a week with Bethesda, it will be fine. You yeah, I mean, to- I think it's just... He parents would. don't have a, an understanding of the game. And yeah, I, I can't even remember my parents. It's such an individual mindset at that level. Like, why isn't my kid playing striker? Right, right, right. And There's that's no understanding was, of the teamwork of the game almost. That's exactly what I was getting to as the number one thing to do. It's educate parents on the level of a commitment, dedication, and hard work that still not guarantee you to even have a division one contract or even more so a professional contract. I was having a conversation with one of the parents uh, that I'm close to the other day and him and his wife are currently discussing how much soccer can their kids do. And I, I ask a simple question, where do you want them to be three, four years from now? Oh, I want them to go to Georgetown. Okay, well, you gotta make Georgetown sacrifices. Oh well, I want to. I want to have them for family functions, and, and we are no family. Well, sure, okay. Then no Georgetown. It is just simple, uh, you know. Sure. It, you you want you want to make a two hundred k a year? Well, you got to put in more work in your firm or whatever you are, because your bus is not going to give you that promotion if he's not seeing a result. So it is that concept, and it hurts to be that blunt. But sometimes it's it is what I experience. You know, and and I I heavily encourage some parents that have their uh, the players here at the youth level. If they get a chance, just take a trip to Europe and just spend a day in any academy and ask questions. You know, and see. And I, I'll even go further. If you live in Paris, I was lucky. I went to Paris Football Club, so the academy was in Paris. I lived in Paris, so. After training sometime, if I wanted to see my family, it was a little bit easier, right? Sure. But if you're from the Parisian region and you get recruited by Monaco, which I almost did, you get recruited by Monaco. Now you have to leave the Parisian region to go to Monaco, which is an island, consider a French island, but so far down south, right? Now, how do you see your family? You don't. And I'm talking at the age of 12. Let that sink in. For yeah, a I mean. That's I a sacrifice. You're talking about sacrifice that early? That's a sacrifice now. So you leave your parents at the age of 12, and now somebody else fully is in charge of your, your being. And you're only allowed to come on Christmas, <laughs> Christmas break or, uh, you know, how many breaks? You might get three breaks in a whole year. You count summer, that's four, right? And out of 12 months, you might get a month and a half of a break. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that's yeah, that's a small percentage yeah. of the population that could handle that. You know, how could you compete against that? Right? It's yeah, been three days a since, week since twelve, seven, eight, nine times training a week since the age of twelve until eighteen, and then we wonder why there's so much far ahead of us. It's just the structure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. Have you seen improvement since you came in 2014 to now? Or I, or I guess you've only been in the, the coaching scene for a couple of years at this point. But I'm, my hope is that this next generation of, of soccer kids have parents that under, understand the game a little better. But maybe I'm just an idealist there. No, you're not. And it is changing. And, and I, I always say to my French coaches, I say to them, there are so much talent in America uh, and if somebody's telling you no, they're lying to you. Uh, Texas alone is bigger than France, fun fact. Yeah. You cannot tell me that in a country as massive as America, there's no talent. There are talent. But the way we educate parents of those talents and, and the structure that we'll put in place for them is what's going to matter in the next five, ten years, right? But it, it is changing. The education is changing. Some parents are understanding and you see the result a tiny a little bit. The result of, of 10 years ago work, you see now in the national team. So whatever work is going on right now, we'll also see at the end of uh, you know, 2025, 2026, 2027, we'll start ripping that fruit again. And it will just keep getting better. I have no doubt. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's what's so exciting to me about leagues like NISA is they're they're able to mine talent at a younger age that wouldn't necessarily have discovered soccer and been able to grow up in the game. And I think lower league soccer in America is so important. And I think it's where the future of, of U S soccer development is, but I do want to get back to you. Uh, while we yeah. got you here, I don't want to take too much of your time, but uh, so you, you moved down to North Carolina in 2014. Yeah. I, I mean, so you went from playing an Academy Paris FC and you mentioned you were recruited by some colleges in the United States, UConn and Maryland, but then you ended up, which had to be a culture shock, in Lewisburg, North Carolina. You couldn't yeah. speak English. So just tell me a little bit from a cultural perspective what it was like to land there and actually back up a little bit and just tell me how you got there in the first place. Yeah, so at first, um, at the end of, uh, I think, the 2013 season with my Paris Football Club, we actually... Uh, made history that year. Uh, we went to uh, uh, the French Cup Final Four, and I played a huge role in that as as the team captain and whatnot. And our team did really well. So we had a lot of promises, not just from Paris Football Club, but also from various other teams in France. So from that moment, I'm, I just turned 18, and I'm, I'm saying, well, all these years of promises, this is it, right? I'm 18. I'm graduating from high school from now on is either my career start as a full professional or it doesn't, you know? Um, so Barry's football club was in talk about potentially offering a contract. And when we sat down, I remember with my dad and the president uh, and the new coach at that point, it was like, well, yeah, he's been with us. We love him. Uh, but we just got a more pro contract to others and we would love to get him in our uh, pre-pro contract, which is amateur contract, which would still allow me to be with the first team and why not. And they were in League yeah. 2 at the time? League yeah, two. so at that time, they actually, no, at that time, they actually went down in League 3. Okay. 
So uh, in, at that time, it was called the National League, right? Uh, it was just the third division. So, but even when you go down a league, you're still allowed to hold your professional status for two years uh, from that point, right? So we, uh, my dad looked at it and said, no, it's not happening. Um, it's no guarantees, one year. Are you crushed um, at that point? Would you have signed the pre- Oh, yes, I would have because, well, for me, it was my house. I was there since I was uh, 14, 15. It wasn't, it was no brainer for me to, to just take that. But my dad was thinking more so five, 10 years down the road and what it could be. As so, dads do, yeah. right, right. As parents do, right. So the opportunity came here. Uh, UConn was heavily the, 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 the school that was push, pushing a lot to get me here and my dad said well what you know it, it was being a plan for the family to also be in america why not right so when we came here um we look at all the schools and maryland was also a choice spoke to coach sasho went to visit uh maryland but they were already in the in their preseason because in france our season ended in may beginning of june so if you you're waiting for a contract, you you have you kind of waiting until preseason, which is July, right? Uh, get to preseason. So we actually got here in July, which is usually when uh, schools they start preseason a month later, August. Yeah. Right. So when we, when we went to visit uh, Maryland, they were already in their preseason. It was actually the first preseason game, and it was the year they actually made it to the final. Uh, and lost to I think Notre Dame the year of Patrick Mullins and and these guys. Um, so it was good. I was amazed about the, not just the stadium but the, the 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 infrastructure, the locker room, all that stuff. I said, "Wow, this looks very professional." I could see myself here, um, but you know, um, he had to send me over to DC United. Uh, for that year, because I was still 18 and could still play for the U uh, U18 or U19 in DC, and I, on the meantime, just kind of wait to hear back from NCAA on my college uh, eligibility, and then that came out turned out to be like, well, I can't go Division One or either Division Two, uh, and the only options were Division Three or Junior College. Um, so I chose Lewisburg because there was a uh, a heavy DMV uh, players that were there and the coaches approached DC United coaches and say, Hey, you know, um, if you have a player that is division one caliber and can't go, just send him my way because we already had some DC United players there. So that worked out. I, I just spoke to them. I just basically took the option that was giving me scholarship at that point. Uh, I didn't want to have to pay for school. Uh, and then I end up finding myself in, in Lewisburg, North Carolina, almost in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I looked it up on the map. I was trying to figure out. It's like an hour or so north of Raleigh. Yeah. Yeah. It was an hour from Raleigh. Uh, it was, I got there and it was, you know, it was, it was warmer and, and, and it's just, it was just literally nothing going on there. You know, it wasn't much, uh, but. Place. You said it gave you the opportunity to, you know, you didn't know, did you know any, any English at that point? At that point, none, not much. You know, it, it was still very, um, very broken, uh, you know, 
Sure. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine having to take a test in a different language. I mean, I was that alone, I'd be yeah, stressing was, out. I remember my first econ class. My first class was an e- econ class, and I was sitting in a classroom like, like what is going on? Is this, what is going on? But that I think that was a blessing in the sky. I think everything happened for a reason. I, I don't I don't think if I was at Maryland or even UConn for my freshman year with 300 students, that would have been definitely a massive shock. Not to say that some people don't do it. I think a lot of our French speaking players go to go to those first those school in their first year, but maybe they have a better English understanding than I do. Um, but for me, it was very hard, and Lewisburg was kind of what I needed at that time, even though I wasn't happy with the football part because the level was lower. Um, was it, like, shockingly lower to you? It was shockingly lower, yes. It was shockingly lower. I think uh, things didn't get very interesting until the playoffs. Huh. Um, that's when you actually start competing against teams that have players that also could have been Division One. So the level then becomes harder. But every, I, I don't think we lost a game my freshman year. And my second year, we won the whole thing. Um, you know, so I was also lucky to be in a good squad. You know, um, that's another thing. So from there, it was, you know, what, what are the options? Back to Maryland or UConn and end up to be UConn. So then talk about that jump from junior college to UConn. It looked like, you came off the bench that junior year and then kind of established yourself in the senior year. What would you yeah. say the level of soccer was between, you know, Paris FC, that age group and NCAA division one soccer? Cause I think the, the caliber of player in the U S like our top tier players generally go division one NCAA, but I know there are restrictions on training kind of like what you were talking about earlier in development. Did, did how was the level in, in NCAA from your perspective I, so <laughs> okay i would say harder but not harder because of the level and the players i would say harder because the contest just made it harder you know in terms of it was more so based on let's get the results you know because we need results for the name of the school hmm. by any means possible this let's, let's let's get the result you know, yeah. when I was in Paris FC, it was more so we're developing the players where we have a style of play and identity, you know. This is what we want to achieve. And every weekend, we just go out and we just do it, you know. And on top of it, you play with so much better players around you. Things are easier. When you yeah. have when you play in a team that is full of good players, you don't have to be a top player to be good. Good players make other good players look good, right? Sure. So uh, not to say that UConn, the level wasn't good. The level was great. I think, uh, you know, some of the top recruits go to UConn. They were just so much harder to perform without uh, constantly having that, well, we just get the result. That's it. So you don't get to actually fully enjoy the football experience. And UConn is arguably the top program when it comes to soccer in the nation. In terms of fan bases, it was 5,000 fans a game. It, that was unbelievable. Yeah, that's great. It, you know, it, it, that was, I think Maryland might be better, a little bit better on average attendance a year than UConn, you know. But soccer, it was just so huge there. But like I say, the pressure and also playing with so much 
guys are so much maybe younger than you. I got there in my junior year, so I was a little bit on my prime in terms of age, right? But I get there when I'm already 21. Now there's a kid coming in and he's 17. And all he have ever known was American youth soccer. Yeah, or even like high right. school soccer. So, right. Yeah. He, was, he was the best kids in high school score 30, 40 goals in Waina in Connecticut. And he was the fastest kid on the field. And suddenly he comes at UConn and he, he plays with guys that are from Senegal, Brazil, France. And it's like, <laughs> it's like this much of a gap in terms yeah. of experience, right? And that those are things that makes it so much harder because you have to adapt with what you have in the squad between the players that are experiencing the outside world and the players that are in the U.S. and so much younger, right? There's a gap there that needs to be met. And that, that made it very difficult. You know, it was a challenge in that sense, very huh. much so. I mean, yeah. it's fascinating when you say the results base, because I remember being like you ate and every parent caring so much about a result. So it's like an Americanized way of thinking about soccer that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I call it the, <laughs> it's funny. I call it the microwave mentality. It's like we want it and we want it fast. Right. So not even time to actually cook a proper meal. They just throw everything <laughs> in the microwave and in three minutes, we'll get it. We don't want to spend that 30 minutes of cooking that proper meal, you know? And it's so difficult because it takes time to produce an Mbappe. It takes time to produce an, a Messi. Messi was in Barca Academy for over, what, eight, eight years before he even made the first team appearance, right? But that's eight years of investment, you know? Um, it's not, oh, we get him now, he's fast now, he can dribble by everybody now. So let's just get him now, you know, and that's a lot of the feeling you see in youth soccer, but also college. Huh, that's fascinating too. And yeah, it's their first experience, the first time they walk through that door freshman year. And oh yeah, they're shocked, and that's the thing. They 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 come in and in you know, a good example here, Maryland, UMBC. Those are good schools, uh, very good schools. You know, UConn. But you have to say that because half the squad is uh, UMBC. Yeah, that too. Just joking. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. But it's, my experience at UConn is like you have these freshmen coming in and they play national team. They do have the talent, but in terms of experience, of of playing experience, they all they have played their whole life is, and this is again talking about the structure. At 16, I got to experience playing with the reserve of, of Paris, right? You play against guys that have kids consistently. Right. So you've been thrown out there to just see how you do. Right. If yeah. you can match playing past that level or not. But there's not enough of that here in America. OK, yeah. is that U16 is the best in U16. Now let's go play Academy U16 with uh, maybe the United or the Red Bulls. But when, even when you do that, you're still only competing against all the U16 Academy kids. It's never higher. Huh. So your whole youth structure, you go from U14, U15, U16, U17, U18, and if you the best kids play academy, you pretty much play against each other the whole time, yeah, right? It's fascinating. Along, all, along the East Coast. So you never thrown in the Maryland major huh. and play. You've never been thrown in the UPSL at 16. How, do you, how were you doing the UPSL? We wouldn't know because you never played it. You, they just assume because UPSL is amateur – it won't benefit the kid, but that's completely wrong. 
yeah. right? In, in France, they just throw you out there in the amateur league, see how you do, right? But what that does is that help your soccer IQ and, and, and help your experience of playing. So now when you get thrown in the pro setting at 17, you're not shocked because you've been playing against men's when you were 15, you know? But here, they only start playing against guys that are so much older than them as a freshman in college. Yeah, I mean, that's so spot on. Like, I've never, I've never thought of it that way. And as I, I, I could say, like, now I'm, I'm 34 years old. The brain I was working with at 17, like, <laughs> you get a punk kid in there, and I, I'm pretty sure I could play defense on him just because I'm smart. You're <laughs> a little smarter than him at this point. So I think playing with, with grown men, yeah, I mean, is that that's something that the Bobcats are trying to, to do, right, with their development academy and, and younger yeah. players playing with the first team and having that reserve squad. Absolutely. And 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 you look in uh, you know team this year, you have a player like Philip who was part of that uh, academy structure, second team uh, that proved himself and and now you earn a pro contract. You have other players as well that are under that age of 23, right? 22 like Drew uh, came on, proved themselves pretty well. They earned a contract, you know. So it, that's the route. It makes sense because before you throw him, throw them out there with the shark, can they swim? Right? Can they sure. swim? It's the first uh, question. And if the answer is yes, then okay, let's throw them out there. Let's see how they do. Uh, so yeah. Sure. So let's let's jump back to to your career a little bit. So you finish up at UConn senior year. And then you head to Philadelphia to play for the Fury in one of the first iterations of NISA. So tell me about that experience of going from, from UConn and then signing your first professional contract with Philadelphia. Well, yeah. Um, UConn, after UConn, our, my senior year wasn't, uh, wasn't good. I think we got, we got robbed in, you know, final, on our conference finals where we scored a free kick in the last minute, clearly a goal, but it got denied. Uh, really? Yeah, it was such a clear goal. I yeah, I mean, mean, what's the refereeing like in America? I've heard some complaints on that from uh, international. That's not that would be a whole subject. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. you got a career to worry about. I'm just a guy yeah. in my basement here. <laughs> this is a whole other subject. But we got after that game, I, obviously, we didn't win our conference, which we needed to win to get an NCAA tournament. So there was no NCAA tournament for us that year. And, and Coach Reed wasn't very happy about that, right? So... I don't think any of us senior were uh, were pushed to the draft at all. So after that, it was more so about what are some of our options. You know, the Fury came along. You know, I went there to the Fury. You know, I said, well, this is a first opportunity. You know, took it. Um, so it was also a little bit of a of a of a, how can I say it? In terms of condition, not the best, uh, but it was enough for a first step out of college, right? But I did learn a lot about the game with, with the coach there and, you know, uh, things that professionals should be looking when they're playing and, and understanding when they're playing. So it was a lot of learning curve in that eight-month period. But more importantly, so the contract came with, uh, with a, a word of coaching. So I had to coach. That was part of my contract as well uh, as a few other guys that were housed and why not. So I, at first, I never thought I was going to be a coach. But even when in Paris, my coaches would tell me one day maybe I will become a coach. And I would always say, nah, it's not for me. 
even at, uh, at UConn, Ray Reed was very interested in kind of helping me out and be part of his staff. Um, and I'll also say no. Um, but a, I, at, at the theory, it was almost like I had no choice. So you want to play, you got to coach. <laughs> so I did that at first. I, I wasn't too, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't having it too much. You know, I was just kind of showing up. You were just annoyed my, by the attitude? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it was more so by my attitude. My attitude wasn't right, you know, and that's fair to say. But I was present. I was coaching the boys. I was doing what I needed to do. But deep down, I wasn't going the extra mile, which I love to do when I'm passionate about something. And then slowly my perspective started to change because when you have these boys that are at the rec level and you start seeing their skills developing and they start winning games, their passion still growing, uh, you get message from parents saying, you know, you're one of the reason why the kid is so heavily involved in soccer and they're doing so much better at school because all they want to do is do their homework and play soccer. Those are things that started to tick in my head. Well, maybe there's an impact here that I can make, right? Uh, still being involved around the game. Um, so, yeah, I got the chance to coach. I coached some, uh, I coached some uh, young kids. Uh, in that second part of that season, I enjoyed the coaching part very much. I started going the extra mile. Uh, I loved it. And then, yeah, after that year, the Fury uh, were in NISA. But, you know, I felt that it was right for me to come back home. And then I, I was lending an opportunity with the Bobcats. So your parents are in Maryland? Yeah. So currently, gotcha. yes, my parents are in Maryland. Yeah. Nice. So you got yeah. the, the home cooking still... Uh... Still going, <laughs> still going, still going. So you went to Maryland for the UPSL championship team. And then, so can you tell me about that experience? Cause it's, it was a step down technically, right. From professional to, to amateur. So that, that point, like, what was your mindset? Were you thinking more, you know, maybe I have to use this econ degree or you're still thinking, you know, professional soccer is what I want to do with my life. That's a good question. I think it was, I had a huge, um, there was, a, it's funny how, first of all, the whole uh, Bobcats opportunity came because at first I was in contact with DC United and Coach Nolan, who was the assistant coach there at that point. Um, and then he said, well, yeah, it would be good to have you back, but uh, to get in preseason with the first team right now would be hard, but we, Loudon was a, the first year of Loudon. You know, that, you know, you could start there and, and then just kind of prove yourself there to the organization and then we can move you up. So that was great. I said, well, sure, I'll, I'll go to Loudoun. But it was a late in the process. I reached out to them a little late where they kind of already signed some guys in to Loudoun and why not. But I still went to the preseason. Uh, they did fairly well. And I remember when it was time to kind of talk about uh, the contract and how to move forward and why not. And I had a conversation with the coach after, after training and another person at that uh, um, preseason was Omar Ballo, who at that time also came back with me at the Bobcats. So I leave, literally, I leave the coach office and I'm not so happy with our conversation because obviously they made an offer, but I wasn't happy with the offer. Um, I, I didn't think it was uh, putting some value on myself as a player, but also as an ex-DC United Academy player. Sure. So 
and Omar Balor and Nike just kind of chatting and I'm telling you, I, I don't, I don't know what I would do at this point. I don't think I would take it if it's worth it or not. Um, I might just go back to the Fury and might not. And Omar said, why don't you just come check our team? At that time it was world class, right? Uh, why don't you come check us out? And, and we have a very good team, a lot of players that play in USL and, and right now. And I'm honestly here because uh, DC United asked me to come here first. But if not, then I would just stay to the, to the club there. So that was how much he, at that point, he believed in on the project. So I said, okay, why not? But he said, I'm maturing. That at first, it was kind of a turn off. But I said, sure, I'll come um, check out. And I came, I check out the guys and uh, had a lot of talent. Right, it was uh, more competitive than when I was on on Loudon training ground. So I was mm-hmm. like, "Wow, okay, this is a little bit of a shock for an amateur, quote unquote, right?" Amateur. Yeah. So then I had a conversation with uh, the president and and so his vision more so on you know his passion for the game first, but also where he wanted the club to go, right? Um, and then for me, it was also an opportunity to be at home with my father who was very sick at that time and why not. So I said, okay, I, I, I see the passion. I see the vision and I'll trust it. And, and that was it. it for, for me, it was more so taking that leap of faith, right? Uh, just trusting. And so far they have delivered in terms of, we want to bring professional to Maryland and, and they've done that. So I'm, I'm super grateful for it. Yeah, and I, I've said it on the podcast before, and I'm I'm just so impressed with the quality of the league. I I went out to a game at the Soccerplex pretty late in the season after kind of following along online, and I it was just a lot of quality on the field. Like it's it's very apparent that there's high level soccer players playing for the Bobcats and NISA. Um, so what can what can the Bobcats faithful, the old Bay Brigade, expect from you this year uh, on the squad? Uh so. More that I I say more a structure in terms of of our our identity as as a as a club, um, you know, camp. But you know, we we want to win games, but we also want to uh, do more outside the field in terms of representing the Bobcats and 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 how thankful we are to the fans and the community, you know, but. I would say in terms of playing style, you know, a different structure. Uh, the, the the staff is different. You know, we have a new head coach, you know, and he's very demanding on, on his style of play. You know exactly how we want the team to play, how we want the team to function, almost to the T, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is showing in the practices that we've having. This has only been day two, and it's been very, very challenging in terms of, not just fitness-wise, but also mentally challenging. Sure, um, learning a whole new system. and Exactly. So, What do you got, I about think, two months before the season starts? Yes, yes. So just about, just about seven weeks. Um, so I think one thing that, that, that the fans could expect from us is more structure, more organization, and more excitement to play for the jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, that's guaranteed. Everything else, you know, we have to earn it uh, pretty much. So... Yeah, sure. Well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I, I know it's not the most exciting podcast to be on, but I, I just I just find the, the conversation fascinating. And I appreciate your perspective as a professional soccer player and and one that's made some 
pretty drastic life changes from being born in Togo to going to France and then coming to America. It's just, you know, kudos to you. Uh, keep, keep on doing life the way you're doing it. It's, it's cool to see. I appreciate that, Mike. Uh, thank you. And this is a good podcast. You know, I think uh, it's completely different from every others that I've, I've been on so far. This is very much so of us having a conversation so I really like it. I really enjoy that. Uh, I appreciate your time as well. And most importantly, I appreciate the support that you've been uh, giving to the, to the club since day one. So. This is a Rooster in the Villain production. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Alex Cow for jumping on. Thanks to the Maryland Bobcats organization for hooking us up. It's appreciated. Looking forward to the next Maryland Bobcats season. Let's go. Old Bay Brigade. I still think we should change that B-A-E to B-A-Y. What do you think, Alex? Other different Alex. Old Bay Brigade, Alex.